EP Ag Chats, brought to you by Air EP. Conversations that connect generations of experience and innovation in agriculture on the Air Peninsula. The good bits, the bad bits, and everything in between. This project is supported by FRRR through funding from the Australian Government's Future Drought Fund. Hi, I'm Amy Wright, the Regional Agricultural Land Care Facilitator for the Air Peninsula. Today, I'm speaking with Tristan Baldock, a farmer from Buckleboo in South Australia's Eastern Air Peninsula. In this conversation, we're going to explore what it's like farming at Buckleboo, coming into the family farming business a little later in life, and Tristan's top tips for young farmers. Welcome, Tristan. Can you tell me a little bit about your farm and what your farming business comprises of? So I'm a fourth generation farmer at Buckleboo on Air Peninsula, and I've been home in the family business for around 10 years now. Before that, I was um, practicing agronomy on Lower Air Peninsula and also Eastern Air Peninsula in the, in the latter years. Yeah, here at Carinia Ag at Buckleboo, we're, we're farming the um, cereal crops, uh, legumes and some oil seeds, no longer in sheep. As of this year, we're cropping around 8,000 hectares. Lovely. How's this this season panning out for you? What are, what are your crops looking like? Oh, look, it's fantastic season, Amy. So um, we obviously kicked off the year with just a steady, uh, was it 200 and something millimetres in late January there. Yeah, we had a good start through was through April, May. Like a lot of people, obviously, the winter months were, were quite dry. So I think in, in July, we, we certainly didn't get to double digits, which sort of checked things pretty well with that subsoil that we'd had through January, February rains. Uh, certainly come into play and so I would suggest the season probably looks close to if not better than it ever has and there's certainly plenty of potential out there. Nice to see a a kind September which is pretty unusual. Uh, Hopefully we get it home and we we can get it in the bin. Tristan you touched on it just before but farming wasn't your first full-time job in ag. Can you tell me a little bit about your experience as an agronomist? Growing up on the farm, there was always the interest in in ag full stop and there's plenty of opportunities in ag. It's not just all about farming. You know, I made the decision that I was off to Adelaide Uni to to study. Enjoyed that quite a bit, actually, Amy. So I um, stuck around for an extra 12 months and did my honours degree in no-till farming. And from there, I, um, I popped out of uni, took on a trainee agronomist role with elders, actually, down at Port Lincoln. And in taking the job, they said, congratulations, you're the new trainee agronomist and you're also the senior agronomist down there. So <laughs> here's, your, here's your car, laptop and phone and away you go. And look, um, timing's everything, isn't it? And the timing down there, I lobbed there a week before Black Tuesday fires, actually managed to meet quite a few of my customers uh, either on the back of a fire truck or in the weeks post-fire where um, my main role as an agronomist, actually, believe it or not, was driving a delivery truck, delivering aid and relief to growers down there that were impacted by the fires. So that's how my journey began. I spent nearly five years down there in Port Lincoln with with elders. We had quite a young agronomy team on Air Peninsula, uh, well supported by by some senior agros who are still in the industry today. And uh, yeah, I sort of looked after the east coast up as far as uh, Port Neal and then up the west coast as far as or northwest of Elliston and sort of everywhere in between and it was fantastic real variety of crops and and obviously soil types and climates and whatever and yeah it was a fantastic time down there but yeah I did move on and, and actually moved up to Cleve with the uh, Cleve Rural Traders there for 
what was a I think it was supposed to be a, a two-year contract and I think I did my last day with them about seven years afterwards so I, I stayed on I, I did a few years of, of farming and working part-time down there just to ensure continuity of the service that was offered as new agros come through etc but yeah really enjoyable time Amy that that agronomy side of things. Do you feel that those experiences helped further you when it came time to come back onto the farm? Oh absolutely Amy probably first and foremost it's really important whatever you do that you get out of your own patch um, and see how the rest of the world works so certainly doing agronomy actually exposed me to when you are doing agronomy, you're probably managing 20 to 30 customers quite closely and probably another 30 or 40 in some aspects. And so you actually get exposed, you know, over my time of agronomy, which is about 12 years, I was probably exposed to, you know, 150 plus different businesses that all have their different challenges, their different opportunities and different way of doing things, as well as living and working in different communities. So I got a lot of exposure. So I guess the rest of the world before I came home home on the farm because, yeah, it's very easy to get trapped in in your own little town, wherever that might be, in your own little place, in your own dunghill. So, yeah, certainly agronomy not only did it give me technical expertise but it actually yeah, exposed me to a lot more of agriculture than I otherwise would have been, which prepared me better for when I came home and commenced farming. Was returning to the farm always on the cards, Tristan? Yeah, probably was in, in some respects but I, I didn't know whether I wanted to in that well I thought I'd be farming but at the same time I wasn't hell-bent that I was going home on the farm mum and dad certainly you know offered the opportunity to do that but at the same time there was sort of uh, no no strings attached to that no pressure to necessarily come home I guess it did reach a point where certainly they they needed to know for for their future and you know their planning as to as to what we were doing and that's when the decision was made. Well, actually, perhaps we should go and have a have a little bit of a go at this farming game. Um, here we are. We've been advising growers for a number of years. Let's go and uh, play around with it ourselves. And that's why I ended up yeah farming and doing agronomy part time and. We came into the family business as um, my wife and I, Lisa, as employees uh, of mum and dad, went for a couple of years like that before deciding that, yes, this is this is what we want to do and then proceeded to, to buy into the business at that point. So, Yeah. I guess coming into the business as not necessarily the farm owner's son but as an employee, how did you find your experience in agronomy um, and dealing with other farmers helped you implement a bit of change and adoption of new tech. I know you guys have advanced quite a long way with your machinery and, and some of your practices that you do. Yeah, how, how do you think that your prior experience has helped you with that? Yeah, as you point out, like mum and dad have always been um, very progressive, early adopters and innovators, etc. So I guess, and I suppose I've had a similar mindset being around that, the exposure, the experiences and the, and the technical skills that I arrived home with, yeah, it probably did enable me to challenge some things, you know, suggest some things. You know, we certainly didn't step in and make any radical changes. You know, there was little things like we were due for a seeding gear upgrade and certainly my experience with a number of customers with a particular type of seeder led us down that path to, to choose that particular seeder. But, yeah, there was certainly no... 
no real radical change, but it did enable me. I can remember the first few years that I was certainly doing a lot of hands-on paddock monitoring and, and agronomy side of it, and you know, often, often in the ute with the agronomists, and we'd have some pretty pretty robust conversations. But it's, it's funny how slowly that that side of it petered away a bit as you started to to take on more managerial stuff within the farm, and suddenly those um, particular technical skills uh, don't get lost but they just become a lower priority and you actually bring those services in to support you in that so you can focus on other things which is what happens now Amy we've got a private consultant that we've mum and dad have worked with for probably 20 years and we also have a um, commercial based agronomist as well while we monitor things day to day the agronomy side of it is well and truly out of my hands now. No that that is fair for sure if you were to do all of this over again what might you do differently and what, what what advice would you give your younger self? Jeez, Amy, um, that's a big question, isn't it? Yeah, well, if I look at the whole thing, so certainly um, been no regrets in going away to uni and hanging around and doing that extra year of research, uh, no regrets at all uh, going into the agronomy field and, and being exposed to such a, a broad range of businesses and, and, and operators. I don't think there's any regrets yet um, coming home trying farm, but yet farming. But I suppose if if anything I would do in there differently, I probably would have taken the opportunity to uh, travel a bit more. So I know certainly other agronomists have come through the system with and perhaps moved around a little bit more, which yeah is both good and bad. But I certainly would have been keen to to do a bit more overseas travel. I did have the opportunity. Post fires, I in two thousand five, I spent a fair bit of time on pasture regeneration, and for a young fella from Bucklebu, who you know, pastures of the day was some medic with a bit of wardsweed in it and barley grass, to suddenly have to look at permanent pastures and whatever was quite uh, confronting but exciting at the same time. And as a result of that work, I ended up spending a, a week in New Zealand with PBG Wrightsons at the time, looking at, at pastures, which was which was fantastic. So I would have certainly liked to have done a little bit more of that and perhaps, um, yeah, I don't know, perhaps taking the opportunity to just take stock and, and get into other areas, other states for short stints and just have a look at what's going on. But, yeah, I don't think there'd be a hell of a lot that you'd change, Amy. It's certainly been an enjoyable enjoyable path. Um, plenty, of, plenty of challenges along the way, but with every challenge comes an opportunity and here we are looking, uh, what are we, 2022, looking down the barrel of an absolute bumper crop and yeah it wouldn't change too much to this to this day. Tristan you've mentioned challenges and and it's becoming quite clear that you're definitely one for learning and and learning on the job. You've been actively involved in a lot of trial work in the district and hosting trials and things like that. What's been one of your highlights from those processes? I guess the challenging and and trying new things has always been of interest um, and hence why I stuck around and did a year of honours, which which was looking at the long-term benefits of no-till in in nitrogen cycling in the soil. So there's always been that interest and that probably stemmed from, you know, mum and dad have always had trials and things going on 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 farm. And then I probably was really able to first get my teeth into that, as I said, post-fires with elders where I had quite extensive pasture trial work going on and then but probably a bit of a highlight uh in that side particularly in that agronomy space was uh had the opportunity to run um, a pretty comprehensive three-year replicated trial set 
looking at uh, fluid fertilisers, and that was in sort of the late 2000s, 2010, which was really informing our business and, and our consulting side of things, informing how we would actually introduce liquids to our customers and what the best returns would be. Um, so that was really exciting. It was a bit of a, well, it was almost a bit of an obsession. There was lots of time spent out there at the trials, which was great. We just learned so much from that. There was certainly some hypotheses that, that got absolutely blown out of the water from doing that, which was which was fantastic. And then I guess in latter years, yeah, coming home, um, obviously was really involved in the, in the Buckleboo Farm Improvement Group. We often laugh about this now, like respectfully, we got the group had got to a point where we're almost doing trials for the sake of doing trials. And, you know, if there's nothing to do, well, let's do another zinc trial, you know, like, and uh, we weren't necessarily building building good data sets out of that. So um, a few of us grabbed it, grabbed it by the horns. And that's when we, I guess, revisited Big Fig's legacy around subsoils work, which they started in, I think it was 03, and um, established a very comprehensive subsoil amelioration trial out at the Pandy there. And I think that was in 14, I think it was, that ran for three years. And then that, of course, rolled onto the GRDC Sandy Soils project that we've hosted for the last, I think it's five years um, here. So, and uh, that's been fantastic seeing how we can unlock the potential of soils that, you know, traditionally we've said, that's two tonne yield potential, that soil. You know, we're in a sub 300 mil rainfall. That's what that can produce. Well, no, actually, if we, we manage it better, we can, um, you know, we can probably put an extra 30% yield on top of that. So that's that's been really exciting. And I think all the things that come out of that, Amy, you know, like we're still discovering things now. When we were in the Sandy Soils Roadshow there a few weeks ago, there's still discoveries now about what's next. And, you know, we've got so far... There's still so much we don't know. The more we know, the more we can harness, well, the more opportunity there is and you know, we've got to keep pushing on with that. So I think that's why I find find that side of it so interesting. And it's also nice to just focus in on something too, Amy. Like everything's so broad, like farming, you've a jack of all trades, master of none. It almost seems a bit with with some trial work that you can actually just zoom in on a on a little patch, a little little focus project and and try and master that which is sometimes nice so yeah Tristan if a young farmer came up to you and and asked you about getting into hosting trials and and becoming more involved as a farmer in research in their patch what would be the top tips you'd give them yeah great question so um really fortunate I suppose my time at uni that you you actually find that you're, you're sitting in lectures with some of the people that later in life you're going to be working with um, on such things so but I guess what I'm getting to there is certainly make yourself known to the research community they're all normal people uh, just because they might sit behind a desk a bit more than we do or work in a laboratory they're really nice people with the same the same interests the same passions whatever so make sure you you make yourself known to the R&D community, both, you know, those that are based on Air Peninsula and those further afield. And, you know, if you have contacts through Adelaide Unis or whatever, like really draw on them and pursue those relationships. Don't be afraid to raise the issues. Um, so go to, go to crop walks, be involved with that. Go to Minipa Field Days, for instance. Be involved in those conversations raise the challenging questions always good when you raise a question to also be part of the solution then 
become part of those conversations, build those relationships. Yeah, it's amazing what falls out of them. And certainly I've got some lifelong relationships from from uni days and plenty I've built since. I can have a general and frank conversation with people in Persia, in, in Saudi, in Syro, uh, independence, um, almost on a weekly basis. And together, you know, you sort of nut things out or, or you put something to someone that turns on a light bulb and then suddenly off go the next five years of R&D and trial work to actually understand something that's, um, you know, may have always been there, but it's it's taken one of those casual and frank conversations for it to actually fall out. So, yeah, be involved, build those relationships, and then always, always be keen to be a collaborator with trial work. And I think uh, there's nothing better than have tri- having trials and R&D happening on your own property. And I suppose I've always bent over backwards to make sure that we get that here and when we do have it here, we make it a very enjoyable experience for those doing the work because they always want to come back and that's priceless for our business. Yeah, I think that that is some really great advice you've just given there. You mentioned and touched on being heard. Um, one thing I haven't asked you about is your industry involvement over the last few years, Tristan. Can you expand a little bit more on that? Yeah, I, I uh, must have found I had a bit of spare time when I first come home and and then gave away the agronomy. Like I said, I, th- I think it was um, probably about four years of practising agronomy at a part-time basis down at Cleve whilst farming. So when the time come that uh, that was going to come to an end, suddenly I got very busy with industry stuff. So I'm, shit, I must be seven, about seven years now I've been on uh, Grain Growers National Policy Group, which when I joined that, I actually, <laughs> it's quite funny, we organised a, um, a big fig event with Grain Growers uh, at the time. They had a, a farm management program that we were wanting to you know, expose members to. Anyway, we held that uh, little workshop and at the end of it, David Evans came up to me and said, oh, I've got a little job, bit of a job for you. And I think, oh, yeah, here we go. Yep, yep. And he goes, oh, well, we'd like to put you onto the National Policy Group. And I said, David, I don't really know that the policy's my thing. Uh, anyway, seven years later, um, there I am still. I've got uh, 12 months left before they boot me off permanently and I'm not allowed back. That's been a fantastic way to connect with industry on a, on a much higher level. So um, there's 15 growers from around Australia that sit on that uh, that group and we have the privilege of discussing anything from you know, fuel tax and ACCC inquiries into uh, machinery pricing and right to repair right through to world trade issues. So we've been involved. In my time, there's been lots of free trade agreements um, negotiated, which we've had some input into, you know, we might be talking about obviously the, the China issue with Bali, we're quite involved with that, harmonisation of heavy vehicle stuff. So really, really broad. So that's been fantastic. And then to the other end of that almost, I certainly spent a few years on GRDC's Regional Cropping Solutions Network, which I think, I forget what I've actually called that now, Amy, but it's changed slightly, the Grower Network. Um but, you know, that was probably uh, more back to my roots, a bit of, of really getting into the R&D nuts and bolts and taking grassroots issues from the paddock through to the people that make the decisions around how they invest grower and government uh, funds into, into R&D. So 
Again, another great bunch of people from from across different regions and different states and dealing with a different range of issues, but all equally as important to the profitability and the and the longevity of our business. So and there's been a few other things in between, Amy, but that's probably the key ones that have that have kept me out of trouble. Yes, I'm I'm sure they well and truly kept you out of trouble and kept you busy all the time. What have been some of the bigger challenges you've faced on the farm, Tristan, and how have you overcome those? There's always the immediate challenges that spring to mind. So we've come through, as a lot of people have, some pretty challenging years. And you know, obviously they throw up all sorts of challenges um, in, in the here and now, but also you know, how that affects, I mentioned earlier that timing's everything, how it affects other things. So um, how it affects the growth of the business or going through succession, how it actually impacts succession. Succession's not an event that happens. It happens over a very long period of time and uh, um, circumstances or, or seasons play a big role in how smooth or, or whatever that rolls. So there's been challenges around that. Probably, you know, some one of the big challenges we faced, certainly this year, there was two big challenges actually we faced this year and that was around the decision to take our business by the horns and grow it by 40% in one go. History will tell us whether that was a good idea or not. It's certainly been one hell of a ride since. Um, and I guess around the same time, we obviously had a one in 200-year rainfall event that um, really did throw up some massive here and now challenges. And and those challenges will continue for a lot of years yet around loss of soil, loss of production, biosecurity. Obviously, there was some massive weed incursions in the floodwaters, which will take us years to get back on top of. Yeah, it probably created, I don't know, I guess the, the damage bill um, from that event alone, Amy, on our property, not including the expansion we did on that leased property, but you know we were probably looking down the barrel of a $500,000, $600,000 damage bill from that one event, an uninsurable event in that you can't replace and you can't insure soils. So that that was a, a big sort of here and now challenge that we could either go, oh, woe me, this is terrible, please help, or go, chip, it's good rain, plenty of subsoil, bit of a mess, better roll up our sleeves and get into it. And that's 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 exactly what we did. And I think it's, it's important to do that, whatever the, the challenge that's there, remain optimistic and look at the bright side because if you do that, you always see the opportunities to exist in it. But at the same time, you, it is important too to just take stock and actually realise just how big that has been or how significant that has been because it will, will quite often those big events can actually change your course and also change you as a person in terms of that by how you deal with that so so yeah there's been some relatively big ones along the way um succession i think for anyone's a big thing in that um it takes a lot of horsepower and, and brain power to work through the whole succession thing and 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 how that that looks which is different for everyone it changes over time but yeah i think most of them Amy, we've got through, and I'm sure there's some big ones coming, no doubt, as we as we continue to evolve and our climate continues to change, both the physical climate and, of course, the geopolitical climate. That geopolitical climate is probably presenting as, as um, perhaps one of the biggest challenges for our generation in farming at the moment. Moving forward, I mean, we've, we've spoken a lot about where you've come from and 
what you've gone through so far, I guess, on the farm. Where do you see your farming business in, say, 10, 15 years' time? You know the talk about young farmers, Amy? Um, next year, I think I'll properly fall out of that category. It's funny, as I've got older, it seems like the category has changed as well and, like, young farmers is now a wider bracket. So next year I'll be 40. So in 15 years' time, that makes me 55. And I guess where would we like the business to be? Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one. So certainly, I see, um, you know, as, as the current operators here, Carinia, we are we are custodians and we are managers of the land, and it's our role to preserve that and and manage that land, so you know, a business can continue to operate that on that for years to come. Hopefully, we make some money along the way. I guess in 15 years' time, I would certainly like to see that um, the family business has has continued to prosper and that the opportunities are there for for the next generation, if that's what they want to do. I've always held the philosophy that we need to continue to grow, that if we're not growing, if we're standing still, we're actually going backwards. So we wanted to keep keep growing. Having just done such a significant growth step, i don't know that I'm keen for much growth uh, in the in the near future. I think uh, our legs need to catch up a bit. It does reach a point in size, I think, where you you lose a bit of that of the family business side of things, and um, gets big enough that it starts to take on a life of itself. But in 15 years' time, I certainly hope that uh, mum and dad are still enjoying their retirement. We've done a ride right out of farming. The opportunity is there for next generation to. Um, to plot a, a course, a path in, in ag, in farming, if they so wish. And I guess importantly, that continued to uh, not just maintain, but improve the condition of, a, of our resources, most importantly, the, the land, and that uh, you can still run a, um, a profitable and sustainable business in our region. Because, yeah, obviously, as we've discussed before, there's some big challenges around climate and the, and the geopolitical atmosphere. So yeah, hopefully in 15 years' time we're still here doing what we do and doing it better. Tristan, are you able to tell me what piece of advice you would give to a new or young farmer coming up through the ranks and, and I guess stepping into more of a decision-making role within their farming business? Find a mentor. Uh, I've got a great mentor in Dad, uh, but at the same time we're very much alike so we'll conflict as well which is fine and that's that's all healthy and or I guess how you manage that is whether it's healthy or not. But importantly, from from the get-go, find some mentors. They we're pretty lucky in ag. Ag's, ag's a very small, really, it's a very small and open industry. Everyone's always so willing to share. So they do say with, with mentors, find someone that makes you shit yourself to have a conversation with. But I don't think it needs to be like that in ag, but find someone that you respect. There's people in the district that you you know are sitting sitting at a level that everyone sort of respects and listens to and they're very measured. They're the people you want to saddle up alongside of and do that early on and ask them, if you like, ask them the, the dumb questions. I mean, there is no dumb questions, but if you think it's a dumb question, that's where you go and test it with your mentors. It's something that... Uh, that I haven't done well enough in that um, I've certainly got those people I go to, but I didn't set them up as mentors. And I think when you actually set them up as mentors properly, then you have those regular check-ins. So it might be 
that once a month you're going out for a coffee for an hour or something and and actually checking in to see how you're going whereas might have been more informal links where geez i'm really having trouble making sense of this or or making a decision around that oh i'll ring bob and just see what bob thinks but yeah they'll be they'll be really invaluable because um You'll create your own pathway. Your decision making will be different to somebody else's. You know, experience is one of those things you get five minutes after you need it. So if you can, if you can draw on other people's experience, then they go, go a long way. And then, you know, if it comes to it, you can have those difficult conversations in your business where there's conflicting opinions. You've gone away and done your homework and gone, well, actually, I was thinking this. And after speaking to those three, people i'm actually changing my direction and you know dad's right or um actually dad i do i do disagree because i've gone and done this homework and this is the path that i can see it's going down so yeah really really useful to draw on other people's experience so that's probably the first thing amy is get mentors around you the second thing would be get your skills up so go and invest in personal development we've done that in the last three years uh, signed up to a business management program. We've got a fair bit out of it. Probably could have got more out of it if we invested more in it, like any of those things. Um, business acumen is not necessarily something that comes natural to everyone. And even if you think it does, you probably think you know more than you do. So certainly get around there and and uh, get those skills um, toned up a bit. And then probably the last bit of advice was um, just don't be afraid to like, do your homework, but don't be afraid to have a go. I, thought, I saw a quote the other day. Uh, was that um, indecision kills more businesses than failure ever has. And I know it's at times it can get difficult to make decisions, um, but if you do your homework, back yourself in and be willing to fail fast and fail often, uh, then you should go a long way. Thank you so much for this conversation today, Tristan. I think you've been able to highlight some some really key important points and, and give us a bit of an insight into your your journey in agriculture. So thank you very much. Absolute pleasure, Amy. Thank you for the opportunity. For more information about Air EP and to get involved with your local research committee or receive our e-newsletters, check out the Air EP website, airep.com.au for our contact details and get in touch. We're always happy to chat.